0: Are you and family? Search hashtag and family on Twitter to find a wide variety of great podcasts, including this one. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It Save This City. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdock. And welcome to Save This City Podcast, it's episode 18 of the podcast, where this time we are covering The Flash, season 2, episode 15, King Shark, and Arrow, season 4, episode 15, Taken. My name is Matt Murdick, and I'm from SaveTheCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes in downloadable or streaming form. You can also find all of the social media information and contact links and podcatcher links. And if you would take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever podcatcher app you use... I would very much appreciate it. It helps me stay more noticeable. It also helps me know what I need to tweak about this podcast to make it better for you. And if you do so, I will thank you right here in this spot for taking the time to leave a written review. If you do have feedback regarding any of the episodes that we've covered or for the podcast in general, feel free to send an email to SaveThisCityPodcast at com, or you can tweet at pod, or you can Call 314 669 1840 and leave a voicemail. And any feedback that you send me, I will put on the podcast so that other listeners can hear what you have to say. Uh, that's part of the fun of having a podcast, and I would appreciate it if you took the time to leave me a little bit of feedback so that I can share it with our listeners suppose that's enough about the podcast. Let's get into talking about The Flash, Season 2, Episode 15, King Shark. It was written by Benjamin Rabb and Derek A. Hughes and directed by Hanel Culpepper. Here is the inside the episode talk from Aaron and Todd helping to get us started. At the end of episode 14, everyone's happy they've made it across the breach. Jesse's reunited with Harry. But just as the breach is flickering about to close, Zoom reaches through and kills Jake Eric, no! Leaving the team, and especially Caitlin, completely heartbroken. Can't just let Zoom get away with this. He just murdered Jay right in front of us. There's got to be something we can do. There's not. We see Barry become very driven to and all things related to Earth, too. What the hell? As luck would have it, King Shark reappears... Are you kidding me? ...intent on killing the Flash. Zoom wants you dead. Zoom wants (laughs) the Flash dead. dead. End of episode four, uh, you get a a quick little glimpse of King Shark. I thought he was dead. That's what Argus wanted you to believe when they snatched him up. But believe me, this half-shark is very much alive, and his biological imperative is telling him to do one thing. This kill you, Barry. It was really fun to have a sort of mini crossover and to see Lila and Dig interact with Flash. I'm sorry, but all year we've been sitting ducks for Zoom and all his Earth 2 henchmen. This is the last one. I'm not going to just wait for him to attack. I'm going after him first. I owe that to Jay. That was Aaron and Todd Helbing, who are, of course, producers on the show. Uh, we thank them for their insight. We really can't talk about anything else before we talk about the end reveal, can we? I mean, last week I I put a link to a Screen Rant article that said that a a time-traveling Jay Garrick was Zoom. Well, Zoom definitely has Jay's face, or Hunter Zolomon's face. So, how could he have possibly killed his own self, would be the question. I guess one what I consider to be very weak explanation is the Hunter Zolomon from our own earth. One was the victim. That doesn't seem very likely to me because that would mean that Hunter Zolomon, uh, we we saw Jay and Hunter Zolomon in the same park with Catlin. The most plausible explanation is that, uh, first off, there really is no Jay Garrick. There's only Hunter Zolomon who has been calling himself that from earth Two. Which would be why the Masked Man was spelling that name out. Um, but more on him in a moment. Um, the Earth 2 Hunter Zolomon plays both roles. Except that the Jay Garrick role that he's playing on Earth 1 is actually his future self playing that role. And that's why the Zolomon playing Zoom is still alive. He's actually killed his future self, um... Maybe not his future self by too much, since there doesn't seem to be much of an age difference between the two. Although it it could also be that the person we knew as Jay, the older Hunter Zolomon, was wearing some kind of disguise to make himself look younger, either via Earth 2 tech or perhaps his previous speed force allowed him to, you know, some kind of regeneration that kept him from aging very fast. Anyway, those are some of the ideas that are being thrown out there. None of which are actually my own. I'm just quoting other sources. Um, We're going to have until March 22nd, uh, unfortunately, to ponder all of it since Flash is taking a break until then. Boo. But there is the other question yet to be answered as to who is in the mask. And this gets interesting because there's still a few ideas out there about that as well. Some say that the real Jay Garrick, whoever that is, uh, could be the person in the mask. Some say that uh, Henry Allen from Earth-2 is the guy in the mask. And that I saw that basically citing some similarities in the hands of the actor and the actor in the mask. Um, I kind of have to naysay on that one because, to me, I think... Barry, when he talks to his earth Two mom, she acts as though her and her husband are getting ready to use the anniversary present that earth to Barry gave them the trip to Atlantis. And remember that Jesse had said that the masked guy was in the cage when she got there. So earth Two mom would not be planning a trip with, uh, Henry Allen, uh, if he were missing, I wouldn't think, um, I suppose, since we haven't seen him in a while, it could be that Henry Allen from our own Earth, Earth-1, is the guy in the mask. Um, I haven't checked the timelines to see if that would work out or not. Um, but if it is a Henry Allen at all, it almost have to be an Earth-1 as opposed to an Earth-2 Henry Allen. So, um, some say that it's possibly yet another Hunter Zolomon or Jay Garrick, like an Earth-3 version or an Earth-3 version of Barry Allen. And I suppose that's possible, but it doesn't seem very probable to me. And I guess I don't really have any ideas on my own as of yet. Um, I do hope to have Donald and Camille on again to discuss the possibilities of all of these uh, questions that we're asking now. While the show is on hiatus here. But in the meantime, Kreisberg talked to Entertainment Weekly about the reveal. So if you want any further information about the reveal itself and what it might mean, you can uh, look that article up. Um, and see if you can gleam anything additional out of it for yourself. And with that out of the way, I guess let's talk about the rest of the episode Um I guess I'll cover Diggle and Lila first. Yay, it was great to see them on the show. While there wasn't a whole, whole lot for them to do in the episode as compared to Barry, adding them into the fold did give Diggle a chance to be some moral support for Barry, especially about that whole issue of carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's something that Diggle would be very familiar with in regards to Oliver. So he was kind of the perfect guy to help talk Barry through all of that and help talk Barry through all of his guilt and then you have the whole bit about Diggle not being able to accept Barry's speed that ran through the episode is kind of a little funny little thing um he's fast get over it Diggle (laughs) uh some critical information I think that we find out though is is actually around Lila um she has indeed returned to Argus if that hadn't been clear before Um, she is now the acting director But here's the thing that disturbed me as they were all exchanging information, and that is that Argus has been looking into weaponizing metahumans pretty much since the beginning, and that's really scary. And you can almost tie that back, I guess, to that military guy who was doing the same thing in Season 1. I can't remember his name. Um, Even though I'm pretty sure that Lila will probably do her best to shut all of this stuff down, at least as far as Argus is concerned, it makes you wonder what else might already be out there, right? So um, that's kind of scary. We'll Flash have to face off against the government because they're using a metahuman of some kind. Speaking of metahumans, King Shark. And I'll be honest, I was actually expecting a lot more campiness than we actually got out of the King Shark storyline. I mean, yes, there were some Jaws references made, plus I I love that Argus called King Shark uh, Bruce, and there was even a a Sharknado reference in there. So there was some cheese and some campiness, but King Shark was actually a lot more scary to me this time. Not that I felt any real peril for Barry at any point, but King Shark was a lot more fierce and, and cunning in ways. That, in my opinion, were much better than his first kind of buffoonish acting and, and looking appearance in episode four of this season. Uh, which I'm sure you all heard me complain about if you listen to that podcast. The uh, CGI uh, for King Shark was actually pretty good. It wasn't any worse than Grodd, that's for sure. And I'll tell you, the, the, the visual effects in general were pretty darn fantastic in this episode. Uh, That sequence with Barry running on water, uh, scooting along there, and King Shark's jumping up at him from time to time. That was great. And actually, one of my favorite visual effects shots was was pretty subtle because it was like this way overhead shot, and Barry was running around the shore patrolling. But as he was running, his speed was actually creating waves going out from the shore. That was a really nice touch. I really like that, because not only did it demonstrate how Fassberry was moving, but somebody took the time to think of what kind of an effect that would have on water as it uh, you know as he was doing that, and we needed I guess really what campiness we got out of the King Shark story because the aftermath of what happened in Star Labs and on Earth too I mean that was all pretty heavy stuff. I love that we picked right back up from the moment and and saw. Caitlin's reaction. Uh, I had questioned before whether the loss of Jay would affect her um, and whether we would see that. Um, And uh, maybe I even suspected kind of the way Cisco would, um, that it might uh, turn her a lot darker. So I'm really glad that they kind of brought all of that front and center and, and pretty much eradicated it for the most part. But the journey for Caitlyn was was really sad, and and I did feel terrible for her. And I've heard some people say that, you know, they didn't really play the romance up enough to warrant such a reaction in the first place, and on a certain level, I can definitely agree with that. But I think what the showrunners were trying to do, given some of the shots of Caitlyn being all googly-eyed at Jay earlier in the season, yet still carefully reserved around the others, or as much as she could be, Was to show that she was feeling a lot more than she let on. And maybe she even felt guilty about that because of Ronnie. Um, And maybe that whole thing wasn't executed all that well. But I think a binge rewatch of this season will probably make it a little more clear. um, Because she had just maybe put her guard down uh, for Jay. um, You know, her Ronnie guard down for Jay. And then she gets all this thrown back up in her face again. So... I will say that the speech about how she was feeling to Cisco, and, and then the joke that she played later, that was all great. And I loved actually how Cisco just kind of he really watched over her in this episode. Even though it might have been somewhat of an overreaction that he was having to her grieving process, uh, he was definitely going to be there for her. And I like seeing that kind of caring between the two of them because... Really, I guess, as far as the show goes, um, those two people are the two people that have known each other the longest out of any of our cast. Well, I mean, outside of Barry and Iris and Joe, but I mean, just out of people who work routinely in Star Labs, um, those two have known each other longer than Barry has known them. That's for sure. Certainly longer than Harry or or Jesse has uh, or longer than, um, you know, Joe has known them. Or Iris has known them so speaking of Jesse and, and Harry you have that story going on I guess Jesse thought that she would get to go back to her earth too someday and you know being torn from your friends and, and everything you would know that would probably be pretty devastating for someone um, I don't think Harry ever had the intention of coming back to be perfectly honest but when everything went Wrong, And they couldn't take care of Zoom. He didn't really have a choice. Um, I do like how Jesse managed to get over it well enough to to help Harry out with his calculations. Even though I'm I'm still really not sure if anything came out of that other than kind of a bonding moment for the two of them. But still, you know, they definitely have had a strained relationship up until recent events. As we've seen um, kind of played out um, in a Harry flashback or two. And... Since all they have right now is each other, it's good to see them both trying. And remember, Harry says that one of the most important things of all the Barry and Cisco about their own Earth-2 experiences is not to tell Iris and Joe or Caitlin anything about what happened so that it... Not so much because it won't influence them, but the fact that it doesn't really matter. Everybody are different people here. And I love that because... The person that statement actually applies to most is Harry himself. He's really nothing like even the brief glimpse of the actual Harrison Wells that we got uh, in season one. He's very different from him. He's very different, of course, from Eobard Thawne as well. So it's great that he would say something like that, how the people in the two worlds are completely different. But, of course... Even with Harry giving that advice, neither Cisco nor Barry can keep their experience bottled up for too long. That whole Barry-Wally thing, I, that was okay, I guess. I, I wasn't really all that invested in their back and forth. Um, but I don't really blame either of them either. Because Wally would be jealous of the guy who had become the son that Wally himself should have been, right? And then he's hearing all of these great things about Barry. And right now, the state of mind that Barry's in, and I don't think it's intentional, but the state of mind that Barry's in, this whole you know bonding with Wally thing is just flat trivial compared to that whole weight of the world thing that he seems trapped under, as Diggle points out. Uh, But of course, the part uh, with Barry that really got me, because y'all know I'm a sap, uh, the part that got me was Barry telling Iris, and Joe about what happened on Earth 2. That scene probably wasn't quite as good as the phone call scene to Mom in Welcome to Earth 2, uh, but it was definitely good. And I felt like, on all parts, it was appropriately acted and, and, and scored. Um, it made it work for SAPs such as myself. And in the end, Barry came through it all. I, I liked his speech at the end about Zoom. I liked Harry asking how they're going to beat Zoom. And the admission that they don't know yet. Um, I'm just sitting here wondering how they're ever going to bridge back over to Earth 2. Even if they feel like Barry is strong enough to beat Zoom at some point. But all in all, this episode was a pretty good episode. Uh, I'm going to give it an extra .5 to my rating because of the reveal at the very end that we talked about first alone. Um, So what would be an 8.6... it's escalated to a nine point one for my rating for this week. Um, the aftermath of Earth Two was in a lot of ways better for me, actually, than some of the Earth Two stuff itself. So I'm glad that they they did take the time to to parse through all of that and didn't just skip over it, uh, going straight to King Shark. King Shark actually took a, a much more minor role, but still had a relative, you know, fuel for Barry because of the way he's feeling about everything Earth-2. Uh, it, it made him the perfect foe to have to face right after coming back from Earth-2. And that's it for the Flash stuff. Let's talk about Arrow. This is Season 4, Episode 15, Taken. The story was written by one of the showrunners, Mark Guggenheim. The teleplay by Kato Shimuzu and Brian Ford Sullivan. And the episode was directed by Gregory Smith. And here's Wendy Miracle... To tell you about that nice to see you mr Queens. dark paid us a visit he's holding a 10 year old boy hostage says that he will release him if oliver drops out of the mayoral race episode 415 which we have called um taken is a huge episode we will get what him can, back what can you do oliver what can you do that the entire police force hasn't been able to do oliver has to deal with the fact that damien dark has kidnapped his son william finding william isn't the problem beating damien dark is Every time we faced him, we have been beaten thoroughly. It's because we can't go against his magic. We need a new strategy. It's very hard for him. He has gone up against Dark all season and has failed to defeat him, and now he knows he needs help, so he goes and enlists the help of Vixen. What? Not enough in Star City to keep you busy? I need your help. Mari and I had an animated encounter last year. Megalyn E.K. also voices the character on CW Seeds cartoon, and she is phenomenal. To play a superhero is actually, like, a dream of mine. So badass. I love it. Vixen is a superhero who is a former two-time member of the Justice League of America. I have that under control. I know. Well, she's from the fictional nation of Zambesi. She was orphaned there because of a civil war that happened. Her parents died, and she came to the United States, and she has these adoptive parents. And my whole life, I wondered... Who am I? She inherits this totem that's been a part of her family. And that's where she gets her powers. She can take on the spirit of any animal that she needs. We're going to get William back, Oliver. She brings such poise and just understands this character through and through. She also has amazing ac- um, action chops and just inhabits this character. We're really excited. Come on up! us like a man! I've got a better idea. How about I kick your ass like a woman instead? Obviously, there's a parenthood theme in this episode. You've got Merlin and Thea. You've got Laurel and Daddy Lance. You've got Oliver and William. And you even have uh, Mari and her childhood. But... I'm going to actually lead with the Merlin and Thea stuff at the end. I mean, Given her anger towards Merlin, I don't think Thea is ever going to give Merlin a chance ever again. And that's fine. But I still think that Merlin, even if he's not working with Oliver, which after this episode, it seems to be the case that he's not working with Oliver. But even if he's not working with Oliver, I have this sneaking suspicion that he used William to get himself into Hive And maybe even possibly to neutralize Damian Dark himself. I'm not sure if his reasoning for doing so is altruistic or not. But I do think he did this whole William thing for some other reasoning than just besides getting revenge on Oliver for what Oliver did about, you know, the League of Assassins. And I'm just throwing that out there so that if by some miracle I'm right, I can say I was right now. Uh, But chances are I'll be saying I was wrong later. I am hoping that I'm right because that would actually make Merlin a lot more interesting uh, for the season than what he's been utilized mostly this season. And there's been moments when he's been okay, but mostly he's just been utilized as his whole creepy dad popping out of the shadows from nowhere uh, to say hateful things. That's pretty much been his whole thing this season. and, And that seems like a waste of John Barrowman. So I hope that we get more... Uh, interesting things in regards to Merlin in the future. And of course, I've got to talk about Vixen next. Uh, if you haven't seen the Vixen animated series that's on the CWC, then I would encourage you to do so. Because the episode kind of assumes that you've watched it. That whole, you know, we had an animated encounter last year line. As well as the fact that she uses her senses on the doll when she tells Oliver to be sure not to tell Barry about it. Uh, you know, those are kind of callbacks to, to the animated series. One thing that I don't recall from the animated series though, is Laurel being involved in the mix or how Laurel and Mari would know each other. But I keep hoping that maybe if they do another season of Vixen, uh, the animated style, maybe we'll see that storyline get played out because really the, the storyline for Vixen in the animated Season 1 is just her origin story uh, played out. So it would make sense that if it's been a while since that actually happened, that maybe Mari and and Laurel would have encountered each other somewhere along the line. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if they address that in the next Vixen series. One thing that's also nice is they actually use the same actress... Who plays vixen in the animated series for the live action series that was super fantastic for continuity because uh, in the animated series, Grant and uh, Stephen both lended their voices to the to the animated series as uh, flash and and arrow and i I really loved the visual effects of Mari using the animal spirits in various places in the episode that looked great and uh, it wasn't too weird, and uh, it seemed it seemed right. And Vixen was just super badass in this episode. I mean, think about it. It, it. I mean, she had her problems with Dark just like everybody else, but she was the one who finally was at least able to get the totem away from him and destroy it where no one else would have been able to do that at all. So I'm glad that uh, she was able to use whatever speedy cat she used to be able to swipe it away from him. And then you also have the added caveat of, of the experience of growing up without her own parents, and that was very helpful to Oliver. Well, I guess you could say that was helpful to Oliver because it put him in a bad position with Felicity in the end, but I'm going to get more to that in a few moments. Now, I don't recall seeing that totem before in earlier episodes, but probably a rewatch would, would bear me out as wrong about that. I did notice that it was in the hallway, After we saw it in the residence, then I realized that that was the same one that we saw in the hallway of the uh, building the first time that uh, Team Arrow tried to get William. So at least there was some continuity there. But uh, as far as Vixen goes, the bottom line, I I loved the Vixen character. I loved the actress. I loved the look of the costume and the visual effects uh, representing her powers. It was all just top-notch to me. I I hope that we get to see her again sometime In the future of the show. Now as for the William reveal. I kind of want to say this first. The person that I actually felt worst for. Was Laurel. And I know that many a times. A a, a lot of us. And that's myself included. We wonder why she even exists on the show. But then there's moments like this. Where I. And I hope you. Actually felt for her. You're reminded of her past with Oliver. and, And. kind of really how poorly he treated her when they were young. You, you admire the kind of strength that it must take for Laurel on a daily basis to even help out team arrow at all. Um, She was the one who got cheated on with the Oliver and, and Samantha thing. And I love that they took a whole scene in this episode to acknowledge that. I love that they had her go to her father and talk about it. Now, if you're a Laurel and Oliver shipper out there, um, this scene might've been pretty painful actually, because it might be the last little bit of hurt that shows us that there's truly no hope for them. And sorry for you for that. I'm an illicity shipper, so it didn't really affect me as much, but that didn't mean I didn't feel bad for Laurel. And the fact that this kind of information, uh, still stings her. She still cares about Oliver. Uh, but I don't think that there's any sense that, that she's, Uh, in love with him anymore but it was nice to acknowledge um, that this kind of information would hurt Laurel and it it does again make you admire her for being able to bury that um, even almost instantaneously in this particular episode Um, she's just capable to kind of let that pain out and then let it go away and then help the team to get William but I did want to say that uh, on behalf of Laurel who probably doesn't get enough love from this podcast or from most of the fandom from time to time. I also love how the whole William secret was set up and and brought forth so strongly in this episode, more so than the facing off with Dark himself, because this was really an impossible situation for Oliver, and there's no good advice on how to deal with it that makes it any less impossible. You can't really say that Thea's advice about covering it up was any better or worse than Felicity's demands to tell the truth. On top of that, the the people who did know, like Barry and Merlin, Felicity kind of held Oliver responsible for a minute. Like, you know, she was angry that it was okay for them to know, but not to her. But Barry and Merlin and, and Thea knowing were really out of Oliver's control. Um, I, maybe he should have gone to Felicity after it got to that point, but I, I think the main thing was Felicity's point about inclusion, uh, that, that point in the end, that was the big stroke, and you have to say that Oliver did fail epically on that point, and again, more on that in just a minute. Uh, I did like that Samantha tr- did try to reassure everyone that Oliver not telling them was her condition. I mean she she owned that. She took responsibility for that. And while it created the impossible situation that Oliver was in, you know, by the episode's end I really couldn't blame her for doing what she did either. I mean, she didn't know that Oliver had changed from when they were together and when they were younger. So in essence, she was just protecting her son as well. And Her reasoning that came out in this episode made me look back on the crossover episode where I didn't like her very much and almost saw her as an antagonist. I I didn't see her that way this time. Uh, So I I was happy that there's a lot of gray area in this particular issue, at least for me. Um, And you can shout at me uh, for having being gray about this. No, I should stand one way or the other on it. Uh, you can send an email to save the city podcast at gmail dot com, or you can tweet at save the city pod, or you can call three one four six six nine one eight four zero. Now, as for the effect on Oliver himself, just imagine having to juggle everyone coming at you about keeping the secret and trying to manage your own emotions about being able to save your son, and for such a difficult spot that Oliver was in this whole episode, um, he handled it as best. I think as we could expect him to his withdrawal from, from the race kind of made me think, uh, that perhaps Adam, the campaign manager, isn't a plant anymore. Um, but if Oliver picks the campaign back up, since Stark is in prison and everything, if he decides to go back and run against Ruvet then, and Adam comes back and then all bets are off and I'm suspecting Adam again, but Oliver did do everything dark asked, including in endorsing Ruvet, So I, I don't know if his campaign could come back from that, even if he did try to revive it again. But the one mistake that he truly made, uh, again, I'll say is this whole inclusion thing, uh, He did include Samantha in the decision about whether to have Team Arrow take William back early or to just meet with Dark. But he did not include Felicity in the decision to send William and Samantha off in secrecy. So I guess that leads us to the whole Elicity heartbreak. Now... I, you've all probably been yelling at me for seeing everyone's side but Felicity's. It seems like uh, in the situation up to this point, maybe you even turned the podcast off and swore never to listen to me again. But if you are still here, I do think that Felicity's final point about inclusion, uh, that is the thing that Oliver is most guilty of and something that he's actually been guilty of ever since we've known him. He always tries to do things on his own in order to try and keep others out of harm's way and I think that that's kind of his own personal atonement for how selfish he was when he was younger right but Oliver never should have not included Felicity in the decision about sending Samantha and William away he couldn't do anything about the past but this was his opportunity to make it right in the present and he totally did drop the ball and I can't really seem to find a reason why he would do that um did he feel like it was actually protecting Samantha and William to make this decision without taking it to Felicity and talking about it? I really can't see how. And I hope upon hope that this was the single reason that Felicity finally decided in the engagement, or at least the last straw. Because it seemed to me that throughout the episode, she's got plenty of good reasoning as to why she wasn't told before. And she even acknowledges that most of that makes sense. But what Oliver proved to her in... The moment is just what she said. He may not be capable of inclusion, no matter how hard he tries. And since that is a big key in marriage to her, then she probably is right. And I can't blame her for what she did, as much as it hurts my Elicity heart. The question that I have is, will she even be able to be part of a team right now? Can she be part of Team Arrow Will Overwatch need an extended leave of absence. And I guess as far as Felicity and the whole getting out of the wheelchair thing goes, she had the surgery off screen? Is that what we're, I guess happened? And because she's already in physical therapy, yet it, it seems like William had just been taken. So for me, that timeline gets a little screwy. And Yeah, it it actually was a little convenient for someone who couldn't even stand at the beginning of the episode to be able to get up and walk out the door at the end. But I kind of looked at that as a metaphoric thing regarding her gaining her strength and freeing herself from any kind of strings of dependency, not just from the chair, but also from Oliver, too. Uh, so I'm kind of going to give it a pass just for the sake of it being an exclamation mark to the quote-unquote moral of the story, rather than worrying about how it affected the story itself. One thing all of this did do was confirm suspicions about the flash-forward, right? No ring, check. No wheelchair, check. Um, now... Here's something, the fact that William and Samantha are going off to where no one knows where, does that eliminate him from being in the grave? Possibly so. As for the flashbacks, (laughs) meh. I mean, I couldn't figure out any real relation to the main storyline other than magic, and, and seeing Conklin's possessed ghost didn't make me any more excited about what Oliver is doing you know, or what he's going to find in that underground cavern. I mean, someone just wake me up when the flashbacks actually have some meaning. Um, and that might not be for a while. But still, despite that, I thought I thought this was a pretty good episode to go on a hiatus on. You have that infusion of, of vixen blood that made the dark being at least temporarily defeated more believable. And I even enjoyed that little uh, Constantine reference in there. He's literally in hell. Um, The emotional pitch of the reveal was not as overdone as I had feared it might be. Um, There were pretty strong performances from all of the guest actors. And and the fact that William wanted a green arrow doll instead of a flash doll at the end, that was a great payoff for Oliver, at least. Um, Considering that when you think about his first meeting with William in the crossovers and uh, how William always played with the flash doll. Uh, You can also check the secret revealed box, and at least temporarily, again, the dark box. I've got a feeling that's not anywhere near over yet, but at least for now, uh, he's out of the way. So uh, this was, again, a good episode, a good way to leave us wanting more, but still satisfying a few lingering things. So I'm going to go 8.8. And I guess with that, there's really nothing else to say. I don't have any feedback, but I'd love to hear from you. Save the city podcast at com, at save the city pod on Twitter or three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero flash and arrow are not going to be back until like the third week of March. So we won't be having episodes covering any of that except for the fact that I do hope to have Donald and Camille on to talk more about uh, our thoughts about the series so far or the seasons so far for both of those shows as well as for Legends and Supergirl and if you have any feedback regarding any of that stuff uh feel free to send it to me and I will share it as we continue to do shows that will cover Legends and Supergirl along the way I'll just include uh, your feedback in those podcasts those will be dropping generally on Tuesdays hopefully for you and uh In the meantime, this is Matt. Thanks for listening, and uh, gosh, it seems like an awful long wait for Flash and Arrow. Hang in there, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you soon uh, about Legends and Supergirl. Bye-bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.